Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we come before you this afternoon, this evening, before your throne of grace, and we declare once again that you are hallowed and there is no one who compares with you. Father, as we meet this evening, even if we are meeting in our own homes, we ask that your Holy Spirit would fall on us, that you would come and meet with us this evening. Come and touch us this evening, Father. We long to meet with you. Lord, as we direct our focus to your word, we ask that you yourself would be ministering and speaking to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So welcome this evening. It is so good to be together once again. And for those of you who are at home, it's so great that you can be joining with us, whether you are watching it afterwards or whether you are actually watching live right now. It is so good to be with you. So as we were reminded last week, we know that worship can be described as both an individual act that speaks to how we act our lives out in the presence of God, but it is also a corporate act we do when we come together as we are today as a body. Now today I'd like for us to look at while we always live in God's omnipresence, when we worship, we experience his revealed presence. Now what I mean by that is that while we know that God is always present with us, there is actually a different kind of presence that we experience in focused times of worship. And it is that presence of God that we long for in worship. And we spend some time singing about it right now, and we're going to look at what the Word has to say to us about it. Now, God promises to manifest His presence in a special way when we worship. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20, Jesus says, For where two or three are gathered in together in my name, I am there among them. But quite interestingly, a few chapters later, in Matthew 28 and verse 20, there seems to be a kind of a contradiction. And he says there, And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Now the question then comes when we consider those two verses, why would Jesus promise to be present conditionally when two or three are gathered in his name and for him to be present there if he always promises to be with us under any circumstances? The only logical explanation is that Jesus is speaking about a different kind of presence in the first passage where he speaks about where two or three are gathered, which is something more than just his omnipresence. And so I'd like for us this evening as we continue in our theme on worship to unpack this idea. And I hope that looking at a text in the Old Testament from Exodus chapter 33 verses 12 to 23 will help us to get a better handle on this idea around God's presence in worship. So we're going to read that, but before we do that, I just want to give some context, and perhaps Luke, you can throw up that first slide. 
after bringing the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, God had initiated a special relationship with them, and he ended up calling them from all the peoples of the earth to be God's treasured possession, to be a priestly kingdom and a holy nation, as we read in Exodus chapter 19. And then God had given them the Ten Commandments. We know about that in Exodus 20. And then he gave them instructions about building the tabernacle. And then God even promised to dwell in the midst of the Israelites. And the tabernacle was to be a visible sign of that abiding presence of God. We read about that in Exodus chapter 25. So God would be present with the people in a real and a material way as they traveled through the wilderness. The problem, of course, is that by the time we get to the chapter we're going to look at now, chapter 33, the people have stumbled badly. We can remember the golden calf incident at Mount Sinai where they sculptured for themselves an idol. And after that, the Lord said to Moses, go leave this place, leave this camp here at Mount Sinai and go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But then he says, I will not go among you or I would consume you on the way for you are a stiff-necked people. That's in the first three verses of chapter 33. And the Lord said that he would send an angel, but he wouldn't go himself. And the Lord wouldn't abandon his people. He promised them that. He would be true to the covenant that he made with them at Mount Sinai, but he wouldn't be present with them in the way that was originally planned. The Lord's abiding, dwelling presence wouldn't go with the Israelites as they journeyed through the wilderness, as was initially um, decided. And that's where our reading for today comes in. And Moses, to put it mildly, doesn't seem to be satisfied with this new arrangement regarding God's presence. And Moses uses the Lord's own words when he speaks to him. So we're going to read now from um, uh, Exodus chapter 33, and we'll start at verses 12. And this is how, it's, how it goes. It says, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? The next slide. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, you now show me your glory. And the Lord said, 
I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Verse 21, then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. In a survey, the Barner Institute, which is a a Christian polling firm. Um, they surveyed thousands of church-going Christians, and they asked these church-going Christians the question, have you ever experienced God in a worship service? Out of the number of people who were interviewed, only one-third said that they regularly experience God in church worship. Only one-third. There's this author named William Hendricks, and he wrote this book that's called Exit Interviews. And in the book, he interviews believers who decide to leave the church. And, and this is what he said about the things that he found while he interviewed these people. He said, perhaps the most common complaint was that the people interviewed said worship services were boring. But what struck him most was the conclusion that it was not just that these gatherings were not interesting to these people, but that they were not worshipful. So the services apparently did little to help people meet with God. The most significant benefit of a worship service is actually connecting with God. And so it doesn't matter how good the conversation is before or after the service or how nice it is for us to see each other or how brilliant the music is or even how relevant the message is. When personal interaction with God is absent, church loses much of its appeal. A service or gathering can be so slick and well presented in the way that we are trying to do now. <laughs> but if you don't have a personal connection with God, church lose it, loses its appeal for us. And Moses had an understanding of this. Moses knew that there must be a connection between God's people and God. And so Moses wanted more than just the knowledge that God is present. Moses wanted an encounter with God. Now, if you could ask God for anything, what would it be? Moses met with God and he was given that opportunity. And he had the opportunity to ask God for anything. But as we see, Moses didn't ask for food or drink for silver and gold for prestige or for riches, Moses had a desire for something that was far deeper than any of those things. Something higher 
something beyond himself, something eternal, something spiritual. And as we see in the text, Moses had two requests, and we see them here. In Exodus 33 and verse 13, Moses asked, teach me your ways. So Moses wasn't interested in God's ways just because he wanted more information. His desire came from the heart of a worshiper that was saying, I want to sign up with you, God, for life, not just for this chapter. I want to walk with you, God, into eternity. It was Moses' way of saying, I want to become more progressively, more intimately acquainted with the living God. He was saying that he wanted to experience God every day of his life. He didn't just want the facts. He didn't just want the figures. He wanted all of God. And he was talking and describing in those words a very deep relationship. Moses, as we see, hungered for God. Moses longed for God. Moses realized that nothing else in the world would compare to the experience of being with God. Moses had a passion for his presence. And I believe that our worship, as followers of that same God, should be to desire to hunger more of God. Secondly, Moses asked, please let me see your, your glory. Or in the original Hebrew, ra'ana et kavod. This Hebrew word for glory is kavod, which means God's honor, his renown, his majesty, and his visible splendor. But the word kavod also means weight, heaviness. And so Moses was wanting to see the heaviness, the magnitude, the weight of God. And as we know, weight isn't something that you read and know how it feels. Weight is something that you actually need to interact with. And this was Moses' desire when he asked God, show me your glory. Moses wanted to behold God face to face. He wanted a visible encounter with the living God, and he wasn't content with just business as usual. And so we not only need to hunger for God, we also need an encounter with God. And this encounter, this sense of God's supernatural presence transforms worship from duty to devotion, from a ritual to relationship, from just another meeting to a holy gathering. God's attendance in our lives and our experience of him is the essence of real worship. And I think many of us have known or have perhaps been here before, but let's look at what we could do to progress this again. Now, here are four simple examples that I just came up with, and there probably are more, and there, I would say there are more, but here are some simple actions 
that we could take to experience God's revealed presence in worship. And I must, I must say this as well. This includes our personal quiet time. The first thing is this. Expand what your worship looks like, even in your quiet time. So sing. Do you play an instrument in your quiet time? Perhaps you could try prayer walking or prayer running. What are you listening to at the moment? Perhaps you could be getting yourself involved in some sort of service. Secondly, anticipate God's revealed presence in worship. So when you are in those moments when you are devoting your time to God in worship, expect Him to show up. Long for Him. Thirdly, listen for His voice. And then number four, be sensitive to the leadership of God's Holy Spirit. You know, I think one of the greatest needs in the lives of believers today is not new programs or new seminars or new studies. I think we, just like Moses, desperately need a life-changing glimpse of the greatness and the awesomeness, the wonder, the power, the mercy, the justice, the goodness, and the loving kindness of God just like Moses had in that moment. Worship occurs when people encounter the God who loves them and desires a relationship with them. Worship is a meeting between God and his people. Worship does not lead to an encounter with God. It is an encounter with God. One more point and then we'll conclude. As much as we want to encounter God, we must remember that God also wants to encounter us. If worship is about encountering the presence of God, a simple question that I raised earlier is, but isn't God's presence always with us? We oftentimes consider worship only from our perspective. But what about God's desire to meet with us? In Psalm 139, David says, If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is the Hebrew idea of hell, you are there. And this is the reality of God's omnipresence. We cannot escape the presence of God. And sometimes we are blind to it. But we should never for a minute think, that God's presence is not with us. In verse 14 of chapter 33, we read how God promises Moses, my presence will go with you. Now again, just let me remind you of the context there. The context was that God said that he would send an angel with them who would prepare the way for them, but God wouldn't go up among them because as he said, they are a stiff-necked people. And so it seems like the presence that is spoken of there in that verse by God is a different kind of presence. And some would call this the revealed presence of God. Others call it God's tabernacling presence. Some refer to it as God's manifest presence. 
And so when we pray to God and ask him to move, this is the kind of presence that we are asking him for. When we pray for healing, when we ask him for provision, when we desire breakthrough, this is the kind of presence that we are asking and desiring of him. In Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26, there is a recorded account of how Jesus heals a paralytic man. And it is an example for us of both God's omnipresence as well as God's revealed presence. We won't read it now. You can read it a little bit later. But the context of that story is that Jesus was there in the midst of this crowd who had come to hear him teach. And that was God's omnipresence. But then in Luke 5 and verse 17, it says, And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. It seems when we read that, that Luke recognized something different. Just judging by the way that he described that scene, that occurrence. Yes, Jesus was present. Physically, he was with them. But Luke noticed something more, something different. He noticed a power, Jesus' manifest presence in attendance as well. God's revealed presence was there too. And it was God's revealed presence through Jesus that healed the paralytic that was brought to Jesus that day. And it was his revealed presence that caused everyone to be astounded. And they were giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. I think this is the presence that we long for in worship. It cannot just be a ritual that we do from Sunday to Sunday. This extra glimpse of God is what we crave. It's what we want. And so in our walks, as we follow Jesus, we balance our lives with the study of his word, growing in knowledge and understanding and prayer, but there's something more in worship to desire. And when we desire it, like the paralytic, we will forever be changed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your manifest presence. Over and above your omnipresence, you are everywhere. Father, we thank you that even now we can experience your manifest presence. And so right now, wherever you are, ask Jesus to meet with you. Holy Spirit, come and meet with us, even in our homes, wherever we are. Come and presence yourself in Jesus' name.
Father, we worship you. We praise you. We long to see you high and lifted up. Lord, as we step out into this week with all of its challenges, with all of the opposition that we might face, we long to have your manifest presence with us. Come and meet with us in this week when we have our quiet times. Come and presence yourself with us. Come and stretch us. Come and grow us. Because we long to, to have your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.